0: I mean, looking back in it, we can we can speak to it this way. But at the time, it's like, oh, you're playing video games, you're watching cartoons, like go get a job or go mow the lawn or like whatever adults around us might think with that. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, you don't understand. I'm kind of saving myself right
1: now. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a chrysalis almost.
0: Yeah, totally. Right. And we whip that ponytail straight out. <laughs> <laughs> Fully emerged. Yes. Um, metamorph to butterfree. I'm Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where... Queer people dial your number, then press 1, then press 3, then wait for an available agent while listening to 45 minutes of Chopin Etudes to let the man have it. And yes, I hope this call is recorded for quality control purposes, kiddo. That's right. Every episode, I invite a fantastic 2SLGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. First, some News you may have seen on Insta. Do you follow us? It's at YouMadeMeQueer. We're also at YouMadeMeQueer on Twitter. We have a YouTube show now that has been running for two weeks. It is called This Week Made Me Queer. It is a tight five. That's a comedy term. Tight five. five Five-ish or so minutes of the week's weirdest and queerest news. Think of it as kind of a loose cross between SNL's weekend update playhouse and a uh, 30 something punk with a shiny head learning how to use a green screen it's truly all of these things and more head over to YouTube you can search you made me queer TV and the rest is up to you find the videos or not and God bless you also I have been watching squid game uh this is not a show that I make and produce in front of a green screen it is a Korean uh, dystopian sci-fi mindfuck, one might say. Uh, Squid Game. Confusing name, even with the explanation. They start the show with an explanation. As the explanation ends, I still have questions. I'm a little confused. However, then we jump into a brightly colored dystopian metaphor for how participation in late-stage capitalism makes everyone a loser. And that's a message I can get behind and root for despite uh, some pretty over-the-top horrifying thought experiments and violence. Does everyone have great bangs? For the most part, absolutely. Do they wear uh, progressive tracksuits? I would say yes. Are they culty? Possibly. Can cults also be progressive? I like to think so. And so does Jim Jones. (laughs) Wow, it's... I don't know. Is a Jonestown reference too soon? I'm fascinated by cults, not because of the the mayhem and the carnage, but because of how easy it is to think you're doing the right thing while you're doing the wrong thing, is my review of Squid Game. (laughs) Listen, people make tough calls. If there's one thing we've learned through the past two or so years, you get stuck in an echo chamber of your own mind, and the the loudest voice ringing out is the one you follow. Have I gone completely insane? Is this going to be played at both my funeral and my inquest? And possibly a trial where I'll be tried posthumously for uh, wasting your time. All these things have yet to be determined. But none of them matter right now because what matters is my guest. I have a very, very special guest today. So let's get to it. My guest is... Joshua Whitehead. Have you heard of Joshua Whitehead? You may have through one of the many books he's published, through his absolutely lit Instagram account, through many of the things he's done. So let's learn more about Joshua Whitehead. Joshua is a two spirit Oji Nehia member of the Peguis First Nation Treaty One. He is currently a PhD candidate, lecturer, and Kalam scholar. Kalam, is that how we say that? At the University of Calgary, where he studies indigenous literatures and cultures with a focus on gender and sexuality. All very important things, but you may know him as the author of Full Metal Indigiqueer, which was shortlisted for the inaugural Indigenous Voices Award, and the Stephen G. Stephenson Award for Poetry. He's also the author of a very well-known book called Johnny Appleseed from Arsenal Pulp Press, Longlisted for the Giller Prize, shortlisted for the Indigenous Voices Award, the Governor General's Literary Award, no big deal, the Amazon Canada First Novel Award, the Carol Shields Winnipeg Book Award, and won the Lambda Literary Award for Gay Fiction. And the Georges Bunye Award for Fiction, one might say. Whitehead is currently working on a third manuscript titled Making Love with the Land to be published with Knopf Canada which explores the intersections of indigeneity, queerness, and most prominently, mental health, through a Nehia lens. Mental health? What's that? I haven't heard anyone talk about that or its importance in a while. Just kidding, as you may have guessed from my intro. Joshua also edited Love After the End, colon... Two spirit utopias and dystopias. His work is published all over the place. You can find it anywhere. I also discovered that, like me, Joshua is a big ol' nerd and gamer. I hope he doesn't mind me calling him a nerd. He self identified as a nerd uh, and gamer, G A Y mer, gamer. Listen, I chose electronics instead of friends in elementary school moving forward. And honestly, I regret nothing. And if anything, time has shown both of us that we made the right decision. But you can find it that for yourself and more in this conversation. Joshua is generous. He is very present. He is funny. He is fabulous. He is very fashionable. I'm alliterative, and this is a podcast. So let's get into it. Please enjoy my conversation with Neopet's parent, Joshua Whitehead.
1: I'm happy to join. After everything, I was like I think some queer joy is totally needed. So I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I'm
0: so happy you're here. Yes, this is all about queer joy. There're not going to be any curveball questions. Uh, also, I want to uh, or at least address this situation. I was going to say apologize, but no, no one needs to apologize for anything. This is about queer joy. So, this is a podcast, so people cannot see this, but I am in a space right now. It looks like Josh and I are at a slumber party and basically I some kind of couch for it, <laughs> and there's like. A- I was gonna say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Please go on. Uh, how how do you see this? What was your interpretation?
1: I mean, this is just like full retro nostalgia, and we're like twelve year old boys staying up to like midnight to play video games, eating Cheetos, and we built this like um like pillow fort, and I'm here for it.
0: I mean, that sounds. Gr- I should have led with confidence and said I came to you with an apology. <laughs> <laughs> it was my mistake. Well, we are queer, right? I know, I know. It's queer <laughs> and Canadian. It's baked in. It's true. How do we get out of it? Because I have just moved and I had this great recording space in my old apartment, but I'm still kind of figuring things out. So I'm in the quietest corner of my home. (laughs)
1: Soundproof, I can see. I know, it's
0: great. (laughs) You know what? It's fine. Listen, (laughs) as I've said multiple times on this podcast, I'm not a sound engineer. (laughs) You are not a Zoom engineer. These are jobs we've had to take on. Exactly.
1: I've been like forced to be like a tech professional as a writer. I'm like, what is happening?
0: (laughs) Honestly, right? what's the weirdest sort of auxiliary skill you picked up as a result of the things you have to do now? I
1: mean, like I, my whole setup right now, there's like ring light. I feel like a Kardashian, like this ring light. <laughs> you look like a Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe more Ariana Grande with a high pony, but I've <laughs> <laughs> uh, just like buying all this tech equipment. Like I bought this fancy like speaker, which just never, it didn't work as well as the AirPods. Uh, so like in the beginning, I just went, went all out with the last bit of research funds I had and like bought the AirPod Pro, the speaker, the ring lights. And I use them quite a bit, but I'm like, I just prefer the old-fashioned one just with the AirPod and let's go.
0: I know, keep it simple, right? It's going to be like how so many people adopted pets during COVID. And then I've read reports of people not wanting these animals anymore. And there's going to be such a surplus of pets. It's going to be the same thing for ring lights.
1: (laughs) Which is true. (laughs) I also got a a pandemic pet, uh, (gasps) but I'm very happy to keep him. So he's a German Shepherd. He's 11 months now. Oh, cute. And his name is Chief. So, Chief.
0: Will <laughs> Chief pop into the frame potentially? Oh no!
1: Like once that door's closed, he's like he knows I'm working to feed him his fancy bougie treats. So,
0: <laughs> sounds real nice. I've thought about doing that. In the place I was before, I was not allowed to get a dog. My landlord prohibited it. Even though in the Landlord-Tenant Act, they can't bar you, at least in Ontario, they can't bar you from that. Oh, really? A- allegedly. Okay. I mean, I'm s- <laughs> certainly, I'm already stepping outside of my zone of expertise, which is very small. Anyway, now I live somewhere else, as we've already talked about. Maybe now is the time for a dog.
1: It could be. It could be. I also just moved, I still got this whole house Nice. Um, here in Calgary, which frankly, the rent inflation is not as high as Toronto or Vancouver. Yeah. So I'm happy to have a full place. And I was like, well, I, have a full... I was living with this little pup who was growing like a weed. When he was just a pup, when I just got him, he could like, like fit him, like, on like the bosom of my chest. And then it was like a month later, he became this mini horse. And then I was basically living with like secretariats in a small condo. <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> so I moved here and we have a backyard and he lives his best life here now.
0: You could just saddle him up if you wanted, just uh, trot around. Exactly. I you was
1: know, a quick jaunt to get some cigarettes the corner store, you know.
0: <laughs> That's so nice. I'm glad you have more space. I'm glad you live in a city that has somewhat palatable rent. I mean, palatable
1: rent, but we also interchange that for Jason Kenney and the oh. highest COVID rates in North America, I think, right now, so. It's
0: it's a hard time. We're not through the bottleneck yet.
1: No, so you you win some, you lose a lot more, but. <laughs> I mean, listen,
0: <laughs> but you've got that, you already self-described as Ariana Grande, so I think you're winning.
1: <laughs> exactly, I did play the Fortnite to watch her performance as well. So
0: so okay so for people who don't understand exactly what this is about including me i read a few news articles about this and i remember reading the headline and being like this is what it feels like to age out of civilization <laughs> where it was like yeah. ariana grande's performing a concert in a video game called fortnite exactly yeah so this was like a uh uh avatar ariana it
1: was she was doing this live performance to this avatar which looked fabulous yes um And then I had to like borrow a login from my cousins. Like, I don't play this game. Like, I'm not a shooter type of person. Yeah. Uh, But I want to watch this concert. Like, here's 50 bucks. Let me log in for an hour. The concert was like 15, 20 minutes. But it was visually stunning.
0: Yeah, like, what was it? Can <laughs> I mean we really do not have to go into detail about this, but I'm very curious. <laughs> so it was it wasn't just like Ariana on a stage. Was there some sort of pageantry to it? So
1: it's like full interactivity. you like falling to the sky, and the things are like blowing up and like glitter, and we get like this large avatar area, probably like Blade Runner almost. Yes. Like this large avatar of Ariana, and then you can like move through. So it's like full 360. So you can like see the entire I guess the panorama of it all. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me. I don't know. He watched it, but Billie Eilish also did a kind of online COVID concert, mm-hmm. which was amazing to me. So it was very like that vibe.
0: That sounds so cool. And I think about me, like when I was a teenager, I was a big Spice Girls fan. <sighs> I know that dates me in a way I'm very proud of. <laughs> Did the Spice Girls speak to you at all?
1: Oh, yeah. Like, the only thing that rhymed with Josh was Posh, so I was known <laughs> as Posh Spice by my yes. family. Yes. <laughs> I mean, she's fancy. And I was like, I will take Victoria. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yes. And she's uh, she's held on. I feel like she's held on to, I don't know, she's got something going for her.
1: I mean, she may not be the best singer. She may not be a seamstress or a dancer. <laughs> um, but she uh, she's her face and I'm here for that.
0: <laughs> Listen, that that's right. You you stay in your lane, know your lane, and work it. But yes, but I'm I'm all here for it. I think Billie Eilish did some cool things with tech. We're doing. I mean, not to toot our own horns, but right now, what we're doing with tech, with ring lights, with AirPods, the future is now.
1: <laughs> I mean, if only I could see these visuals, people. I know. Um, like, speaking of, like, fun purchases, too. So I just bought an Oculus Quest.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, like, a VR headset? Yeah,
1: it's fully wireless. And so I've been having fun, speaking of Billie Eilish, because they have this game, like, Beat Saber. you get, like, lightsabers, and you have to, like, match the beats and cut these boxes. Oh, cool. And they have this, like, full Billie Eilish playlist that you can go through. What? I've been really, really enjoying that. I
0: like that, I mean, at a certain time, that would be seen as lowbrow for an artist, an artiste to appear in a video game. And I like that we, of all the wrong directions we're going in, we're losing some of that poshness, I guess, to use that. I mean, it's like, it's cool. It's punk.
1: Oh, for sure. Like, I grew up, like, in Winnipeg. And I remember, like, just as I was starting to become a writer, I would, like, you know, take these creative writing classes in the university. Um, (laughs) And then at night, we'd, like, go out into Winnipeg and this a street called Osborne, and they have it was like, all these anarchists and rappers and jazz musicians and poets and writers and artists of all types and you know you would just like sling beers at this place called the toad which had <laughs> underneath is called the cavern they would have like live punk music cool. and then you would go to these venues and like do these amazing improvs and uh, so i would be like kind of improvising alongside like amazing saxophonists um and spoken word artists and rappers and, and so that was like my tutelage as a writer so i'm like very down to like melt, like kind of remove L from the capital L literature, or also kind yes. of remove the, the highbrow from art yeah. and make it grungy and make it dirty, intersectional like that. Like that to me is like a purer form of what we call quote-unquote art yes. than like the high echelons of the posh spice, maybe.
0: Yeah, use the tool. I mean, that's how we've always made art. You use the tools you have. And nowadays, a lot of those tools are PlayStation 4s or what have you.
1: Exactly, exactly. So yeah. I would love to be in a VR game one day. We'll see. <gasps>
0: well, maybe that's a good segue, Because you talked about underground culture, you talked about subversive messages and going against sort of the mainstream narrative. And when you and I were growing up, there was a lot of confusion in the mainstream narrative about what could make you queer. So yes, we heard things. We had to be careful. Maybe if you chewed the wrong flavor of gum, or you know, if you had a uh, mittens and you didn't secure them with those little strings, so you could just lose one and not the other.
1: It was like putting a red bandana in your back pocket though. Those days with those mittens. <laughs>
0: That's right. It's like the <laughs> mitten signals. You never knew what message you were sending out. And now, as adults, we know that that. that almost everything can make you queer when you know something certainly was in the water for us so that's why i'm here today josh because i want to you know as an adult who can afford their own ring light their own oculus has some clout to finally stand up on that pulpit so to i'm I'm using legal terms i barely understand the dais let's say the dais and point the finger of blame once and for all joshua whitehead who and or what made you queer
1: (laughs) i mean like let me get the rolodex like how much <laughs> yeah. um, get comfortable so like speaking of like what made you queer as we were kids like do you remember that PSA um, it was like an anti-smoking ad and there was like these two high school boys who were like getting really close because they're trying to steal a cigarette and they go in the bathroom and the final ad of this PSA would be like smoking makes you gay um, are you serious? <laughs> I remember <laughs> Yeah, you can totally check us out on YouTube. Canada had wild PSAs back in the day. They were super like homophobic, homophobic, transphobic. Uh, so they're all available on YouTube. I highly suggest watching this. It Makes me laugh every time because I am a smoker now. So.
0: Right. So what decade was that from?
1: The this was like late '90s, early 2000s. Oh my god. Yeah, it was wild times. Like another the one that was really popular was like, "What's your thing?" My thing: sound effects. <laughs> so I just love to watch those from time to time. Maybe it was the like commercials that made me queer. Maybe, and
0: funnily <laughs> enough, we do know now that smoking does, in fact, make you queer.
1: I mean, a smoking circle is the queerest place of any space, so... <laughs> really? Yeah, get close, boys. <laughs> I have to lie, it wasn't those commercials. <laughs> I would say that there's two main things. So I, I grew up just like, as this very, what we might call, in uh, my community, indigenous nerd, mm-hmm. which is just an amalgamation of indigenous and nerd, which fits really kind of uh, beautifully with our, like, kind of amalgamation of indigenous queer right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I have to when I think back, it's like... I think first and foremost it was probably like my obsession with rpgs role-playing games and final fantasy 7 i would say was okay. one of the games that made me like hella queer which like speaking of anarchy um and like queer communism it's about this group called avalanche run by this like really blonde twinkie boy named cloud stripe who i was obsessed with let me
0: just before you dive in let me just know i am here for this i played this game <laughs> i know all these references yeah. so take me there
1: yeah so you play as this like rebellious group avalanche which is run by this main character cloud and several others who are just trying to overthrow this main kind of world destroying ecological destructive um, energy re- extraction company called shinra and that's basically like the premise of the game there's other things you learn there's like super soldiers made through like bio warfare and bioengineering But the game itself, just like I was obsessed with, I played it multiple times and it takes like 120 hours to beat.
0: It's really long.
1: So long. Yeah.
0: Especially to play as a teenager. Oh, for sure. And this is like pre Harry Potter days. Like now maybe it's more normal for a teenager or a tween to do something for that long. But at that time, like, that's a big
1: commitment. (laughs) It was a big commitment. And I just remember, so it also just got remade, which I just played.
0: (gasps) I haven't played it yet.
1: Oh, get ready. It is so beautiful. (laughs) And it's very nostalgic if you have played the original. Mm -hmm. But the original, you you go to this place in the middle of the slums um, of this place they all live in called Midgar. And you have to go to this place called the Wall Market, which is like this kind of street bendery, but it's also like Pro sex work. There's queer folks and butch and femme people everywhere, uh, and it's run kind of by this person who runs this kind of brothel, basically. So to me, it was like very Dolly Parton, like best little whorehouse in Texas, yes. meets like basically like Blade or like again like Blade Runner. It was very cyberpunk. Yeah, meets yeah. like kind of musical elements, mm-hmm. and you have to like collect all these things to make the main character Cloud, who's like this buff dude, but very twinky, but like has these large arms for some reason. Yeah. Um, so like, I guess like you no know, spot focusing.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. And I do want to say to paint the picture uh, of clouds. So like. Has this huge sword, kind of like baggy, um, left-eye TLC cargo pants. And then a bit of like hunting armor, but also underneath a very uh, conservative turtleneck sweater from Talbot's kind of thing. Like the kind of thing your supply teacher might buy at the mall. But sleeveless, so shows off those guns Mm -hmm. and was like very pretty. Like the overwhelming attribute, I would say, was like prettiness to this male coded character.
1: Were you Cloudstruck stylist? Because you just, like, picked up exactly where to get all those items.
0: <laughs> I mean, apparently I played that game for all 120 hours because it's like, a bit of a weird polygon-based crush. And and this is, like, these are retro games where, like, you know, people are caught now in video games. But at the time, you had to do a lot of imagining.
1: Oh, yeah. And there was no voice acting in those days, kids. Yeah. So you had to, like, read like hours and hours of dialogue Yeah. so I attribute a lot, a lot of that to like my dialogue these days as a writer yes I loved Cloud and so you have to go to this place the Wall Market and you have to collect all these items because you have to put Cloud and drag and dependent upon like what items you get and what affiliations you make with the characters there's three tiers of what he can dress up as and the other two female characters Aerith and Tifa who are also with you you're all trying to dress up to go into this brothel to confront the person who runs it and I I enjoyed that so much. You get to like go to this gym with this like kind of like stone butch woman who runs it and like do squats and chin-ups and all this, and then do all these little side quests. But I just like remember being this like young teen, um, being like, I am like living. Yeah. For putting this like macho man into this like high femme drag.
0: Yeah, it's interesting too because the game, so much of the game, it's like uh it's an adventure game, but you're fighting a lot, there's a lot of combat. very brutalist. Yeah. And then there's a lot of it's like you said, it's very camp, but also like, and this is something, so I haven't played the new one, the old one. I remember the maybe when Cloud finally comes out in drag or sort of a different presentation, they're sort of, it's a bit of a joke in a way. Mm-hmm. But I've heard that in the new one, it's really quite supportive and sort of, I mean, however you eat it, trans affirming or or drag affirming or, what was your take?
1: I mean, the old one was definitely at that time, I was just like, this is queer. It's the first time I'm seeing something like this, yeah. uh, outside of like staying up late to watch like queer folk. Um, <laughs> but I got to participate because I was like the person controlling the avatar, right? Yeah. Which is like so interesting to me about video games is that, and like literature too, but video games more specifically because it calls for your active participation. So you are also in a semblance. This is again the days of polygon gaming, but it's also like virtual reality. Like your, your entire consciousness is like input into this mute character mm-hmm. who just has boxes for dialogue. So to me, like that was a huge like revelation for me to be like, okay, like I like this. Probably explains a lot about me now. You see my Instagram is quite a bit of glam, yes. You know, but I keep like the kind of you know male attributors, like the mustache and the beard. But the new game, like so like the one that just came out, I think a year ago, not even, mm-hmm. is like completely different. And this is where I'm like, it's also more like. Very Dolly Parton because there's a whole musical montage that happens with this like queer run honeybee in and they're all dressed in these honeybee outfits. It's very like showgirls, very best little whorehouse. And it's like a five minute musical montage where you put cloud in this drag and he's like, hit on my uh, like AFAD um, people and men, like cisgendered and queer folks. Mm-hmm. So it's like really fun. And I think you can even, if you want folks onto YouTube and you can watch the little kind of montage of putting him in the drag and there's like makeup and wigs and the dress is there. Everyone's applauding. And then you kind of go out to the streets and you can kind of hear the babble of everyone around you and you're like kind of getting hit on and catcalls. So it's so,
0: it's like, I mean, maybe not the catcalls. Well, maybe. But uh, it's, everyone is responding in a way where they're like, I want what you got. You presented that way. I want it. Basically, yeah,
1: exactly. Wow. But it's not about the main character himself. It's about the kind of this, the, the, this quote unquote slum space that they space that they created, mm-hmm. which is the wall market and the honeybee and primarily. Uh, there's also kind of, this massage parlor, like semi-glory <laughs> hole moment. Ooh. And it's very, very queer nowadays. Um, so I very much enjoyed the glow up of Final Fantasy
0: VII. 100%. And at the time, like how old were you when you played this for the first time?
1: I'm gonna think like 10 or 11. Okay, so pretty Maybe young. blossoming into 12, yeah.
0: So sort of at an interesting sexual awakening time, did this, were you cognizant of why You were so excited or interested in this sequence?
1: I mean, at the time, I was like deluding myself that I was like in love with Tifa and Eric. Okay. Or like the two main female protagonists. Mm -hmm. But I think at the time, I did have some type of, I wouldn't say I was like, oh, I like this because it's self-affirming for me as like a femme, you know, uh, assigned male at birth person. Mm -hmm. But I was drawn to it continually. So I played it in those ages. And like, I think I played like every year and I would like tell people and like, like, I can't beat this segment. So I'm like, I'll come over and help you.
0: (laughs) I'm the master of that part.
1: I'm like, I have it. (laughs) Like, is he, you know, And so, so I returned to it often, specifically in like those formational years, like when you're just like hitting puberty and like moving through it and but my my town was like very like anti-queer like anti-gay at the, at the time it was like very taboo in my small town of manitoba mm-hmm. to be like out and about or like basically out and or like queer presenting in any way shape or form mm-hmm. so my kind of i would say my refuge or my safeguard would be like video games yeah. and so i'll be like you know try to like pass a straight and like mask and butch in the spaces of the town and then just kind of come home into my basement and like play these video games and just like transport myself into this like holy queer embodiment. So I, I realized that I was like, I'm attracted to this, mm-hmm. but I'm only attracted to it because it's like quote unquote different. Right. I see. But I, I think just child Josh knew But there's something in that that was drawing me continually to return, return, and return again.
0: Right. And it's funny, too, because it's maybe it's an adult idea that we have to put a name to that or that we have to, like, speak a narrative around it, whereas just, like, doing it, I mean, maybe that's all you
1: needed. I think so, yeah. It was very, like, for me, formational, I would Mm say, um, to, like, have Cloud. But then there's also other characters. Like, there's, like, this goth character, Vincent, who's, like, a gunslinger. And like kind of like Bram Stoker's Dracula meets like Interview with a Vampire, and also like long, beautiful hair and like really long eyelashes. Like, what mascara were you using? <laughs> yeah, give me your beauty secrets. Who <laughs> <laughs> like I was also obsessed with too. And then also just amazing where I was not the best, but at that time, representation of, like, Blackness, you have, like, Barrett. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, I was also really drawn to, like, Red 13, who is this kind of creation made by these kind of scientists who work for Shinra, but is, like, also very often from the land. So, like, I was also really attracted to... Like not, not like physically or sexually, but to I was like drawn to this character of Bread Thirteen because mm. for me that was like also Indigenous representation, and so was Eret because she comes from this, these people called the Ancients. Yeah. So like as an Indigenous queer person, now looking back, I'm like, oh, there was I was kind of getting tiny semblances of everything I needed in that moment.
0: Yeah, there was like a, a lot, and it's interesting those stories. I mean. The lion's share of those games were made in Japan Mm -hmm. and then, you know, uh, sort of, I guess you could say naturalized for a North American audience or a Western audience. So, yeah, it was something we weren't being served up at the time by, I don't know what the equivalent children's entertainment would be, Disney or other things like that, where you have these inflated archetypes. But the ones in video games, because I was a big nerdy gamer, too, who played all those games they were the way they punked prettiness versus handsomeness or like strength and these like very mythic lore. Yeah. Like the way they spoke about the environment or landscapes and it was all very integral in a way that I don't think we were exposed to otherwise at that age or at least I wasn't yeah
1: I, I would agree too like I don't want to like exoticize Orientalism or like Japan as having the aesthetic that was, I drew was drawn to mm-hmm. but it's interesting like so my first book Full Metal and DigiQueer is taken from this book called Full Metal Apache mm. um, which talks about you know these kind of orphan kids after World War II in Japan who be- basically became scrapyard kids and were became so obsessed with like Western cinema, quote unquote Western, North American cinema, mm-hmm. and were like really drawn to Westerns and identified with like the quote unquote, like the, you know, the Clint Eastwood Indians, mm-hmm. um, like with these, with these stoic people riding horses and coming over and like sometimes succeeding, mostly failing in Western films, but we're like really drawn. So, like, they started calling themselves Full Metal Apache. And it's interesting for me now, as both a queer person, an indigenous person, and an academic, mm-hmm. to like realize like that transfusion because I feel like I also had very similar experience as a kid. Obviously, not from you know a post-war torn country, um, but also someone living under active colonialism to also be drawing my identity not from you know Canadian or American sources, but from Japanese. Mm-hmm. So I would say like Final Fantasy Seven video games from that era. And then also, like, the Ghibli films, like Princess Mononoke, like Prince Ashitaka, well, oh, uh, and his little loincloth sure. <laughs> well, like always <laughs> I mean... be a thing for me. And it's funny because they all revolve around, like, environmental degradation yeah. and imperialism and these kind of very strong colonial forces, which enforce things like heteropatriarchy, the capitalism and all that. So I was... I loved. I loved all those types of things I ingested.
0: Which is really interesting because in Japan, and I actually I lived in Tokyo for four years, so I have a specific relationship to Japan, but those themes, because they're different from North America or maybe Europe, they dealt with them in imperialism, certainly in environmental degradation, which is very present in Japan right now with plants in Fukushima and things like that, and, and being a small contained space. And it's so fascinating how through a video game or through our cartoon, some of those values or those ideas can feel so familiar to a kid. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, I didn't have the language to be like, I'm queer mm-hmm. or also like, uh, I'm like actively being crushed under the, the weight and the, the machines of settler colonialism, <laughs> right. but I recognized it. Yes. I rec. yeah. So that is interesting. I never thought about that.
0: And it's weird because we weren't, I mean, we're, we're talking about it in a maybe slightly more transparent way now, but in the eighties or the nineties, we <laughs> were doing a much worse job. And so we had to look to like high fantasy To see the mirror of like, oh, no, this is actually happening. But we have to pretend it's like a dystopian universe where we wear uh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez cargo pants, (laughs) etc.
1: And like very steampunk, like metal shoulders. Yes,
0: I know. I think almost this full outfit showed up in a TLC concert, but I can't be sure. You Made Me Queer. You Made Me Queer. We'll be right back. And now back to more You Made Me Queer. And I'm a big Ghibli fan too. For me, my number one is Spirited Away. Oh, so good. I, you know, I have a soft spot for a bathhouse, so. I
1: <laughs> <laughs> me, I'm like more of a boy, or like, let's do The Forest by the Wolves Watch, but.
0: <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. And were you around the same age as the Final Fantasy, like 10, 11, 12?
1: It was like basically the same time. So like I do more in the loss of uh, like blockbusters and like video stores. Yeah. I loved, going. I would go there for hours. I remember I used to get like $5 for allowance a week mm-hmm. as a kid. Uh, and that was enough to either rent a video game or rent two films and so I would interchange between like Final Fantasy games or Ghibli films and I would also continually re rant and re-watch Princess Mononoke and I remember being so terrified by like, the tree spirits those little like green guys yeah. who were like naked all the time running around and they like, have these like wobbly heads used to terrify me <laughs> uh, and it's not until I was an adult where I was like why did they scare me so much so like I, as an OG creep person in mm-hmm. um, and, and my communities we have these things called Managichi or like little people who are like little tiny people who play tricks on you they were known to like tip your canoe pre-colonial times but nowadays they're like very well known for stealing they love shiny things okay so if you have missing keys or something of that sort it was like it was the little people so what you do is you put like tinfoil or something shiny yeah uh, because they like shiny things and like sweet things with jelly beans so i remember doing that and the next day i was like i couldn't find my keys for days or two days and so i did that no, my found my key on the floor, which I had searched previously before. So I was like, okay, like maybe I was also like seeing some of my like indigenous oral histories yes. also in, in all these Japanese oral histories too.
0: Whoa, that is so cool. So really, oh, first of all, I do want to go back for a sec. Are you saying Leave Sweet's So they won't take your keys? Like you're sort of appeasing them?
1: It's kind of like a a peace offering. Ah, yeah. Like, here's some sweets. You can go away for a bit and they'll give you back whatever they, quote unquote, stole from you.
0: I love it. Just keep those, you got to have jelly beans around.
1: I have a huge jar ready to go and Costco-sized tin foil.
0: (laughs) perfect. perfect. (laughs) Yeah, but again, that really, I find that so fascinating the way kids' minds specifically can find something so, especially queer kids or, you know, indigiqueer, like you said, just people who are having to do a lot of decoding and understanding alone for themselves as children mm-hmm. can construct familiarity in in something so fantastic like that.
1: Exactly. And like again, like looking back, but now like as a kid, I was like very well aware uh, of like little people and like star people or aliens as we call them and like Wendigo and Rogaro, which are other kind of figures. But we don't call them fantastical. Okay. We don't call them. They're not. They're not based on genre. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like little, like little Josh also recognized that in both Final Fantasy VII and in the Ghibli films, like Spirited Away or Princess Mononoke or Howl's Moving Castle. And that those kind of when it's like really based and you know indigenous to a different space such as Japan, that morality it's also not. Re- it's not like made as like mystical. Yeah. And I, that's what I loved about them, and that's so I still love about them. They're just like normal elements that you have you know, a jumping scarecrow or that you have talking wolves um, or that you have like these spirits that are always around you. Okay. And so I, like, I also think I was attuned to that both as a queer person, because those would be like guiding figures yeah. uh, as they are in those films, as well as like indigenous person. So I, sometimes I think I can't pull them apart anymore, Yeah, but both of those like mediums and both of those texts, they just kind of like, I'm so happy I, I had them as a kid because i didn't
0: realize how desperately I needed them 100% right and it, yeah it's funny at the time you don't I mean looking back in it we can we can speak to it this way but at the time it's like oh you're playing video games or you're watching cartoons like go do that go get a job or go mow the lawn or like whatever adults around us might think with that but it's like mm-hmm. no you don't understand I'm kind of saving myself right now
1: exactly yeah it's like a chrysalis almost
0: yeah totally right and we whip that ponytail straight out.
1: <laughs> Fully emerged. <laughs> yes. From, like, menopause to butterfree. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> so was there something after? I mean, this is your chance to to really blame. Is there something post-Ghibli?
1: That may be super gay <laughs> or super femme and queer. Yeah. Um, well, I would say that the next thing that came for me... Was like, okay, there's, there's a lot, but like, I, I, I won't speak on this, but like, Digimon, I was obsessed with Oh Okay, but like, flash forward a little more. Um, I'm also a huge horror buff, I love horror films. Nice, I'm so excited for October now that I have my own house and I can decorate it. I thought I just bought some animatronics, yeah. oh Very my god, scary. like to put on the lawn to so like put on the patio for the kids. i <laughs> come trick or treating, so I'm like, so excited for that. Uh, I'm sure it'll scare the hell out of my dog. Oh, but yes. I love A Nightmare on Elm Street. One of my favorite franchises. I love Freddy Krueger. I play here all the time in Dead by Daylight. And pretty queer. Very, very queer. Specifically, it gets more and more campy as you move into the different directorial debuts. Mm -hmm. Like he becomes like the Wicked Witch of the West. He's like in this kind of, all these like Oz montages. But number two, and I Elm Street 2 features the first, like, queer screen queen, Jessie, and there's, like, bathhouse scenes, and there's, like, all of this, like, metaphor for penetration and HIV and AIDS, obviously, yes. um, but a lot of queer representation. I think it's so seminal for, like, one, horror, um, but two, for me, as, like, also someone coming into my queerness, because I always identified with the final girls, <laughs> everything from, like, right in the 13th through the Halloween, like, Laurie Strobe, Love, and then Jesse <laughs> came along and I yeah. was so attached, so, so attached to to Jesse um, from that film because, I you know, I would sneak, I would stay up late to watch, like, Queer as Folk and, like, King Kong Showcase, yes. but I remember, like, this film was, like, all of that plus, like, all of my, like, Fantastical attributes of like fantasy and like speculative fiction and then horror. Yeah. And I got to combine them two, those two together. And it, so Jesse is kind of like a, I aspire to be the scream queen that Jesse was and is.
0: Oh my God. Well, <laughs> I will say, so I have not seen that film. Almost embarrassingly, I've definitely read think pieces about how <laughs> that film is queer, but I'm such a scaredy cat that, like with gore so I'm worried I wouldn't be able to do it, but it's 80s gore, so can I do it?
1: (laughs) I would say, also, 80s gore was, like, intense.
0: Yeah. This
1: was, like, the times of, like, Evil Dead, you know, again, like, Friday the 13th, and a lot of that gore was also inspired by um, prop artists who were, like, being, taking images, and this is what I think why I love horror so much, it's so subversive, and it's feeding images you don't want to see, which I think Mm. I hate being, like, I hate, like, body horror, Mm -hmm. but... Um, I can't remember his person he works in The Walking Dead Nico something um, but he has there's this amazing series that's run by Eli Roth History of Horror mm-hmm. and the prop designers and all those all those people who were like behind the scenes working on the special effects at that time we weren't animated and talk about they, well, they drew upon images of like the Vietnam War mm-hmm. and they would bring that into horror and, and more specifically now with things like hostile drawing upon like Afghanistan so like horror to me is like one of the most punk genres and most subversive genres and then you combine like these images of like war and imperialism with also kind of you know the, the aids the aids epidemic and mm-hmm. kind of thinking about penetration and then full full communal loss of queer folks specifically gay men or also this is a terrible war in vietnam and you amalgamate that onto a film And you're just like subsuming so much. So like rightfully so, like we should be squeamish of it. But we should also, for me, horror makes us stare our our kind of worst selves down and shatter and then rebuild it. Yes.
0: Yes. It's like exposure therapy.
1: Yeah, I think so. In in a way that's not making you like the clockwork orange, like eyes pride open. (laughs) That's right.
0: You have (laughs) to like know your limit. Don't push yourself too far. Like, for example, I, as a child, accidentally on TBS, they aired... They didn't accidentally. They aired Helter Skelter on TBS. Uh I was unchaperoned on a Sunday afternoon. (laughs) And I watched it in its entirety. And that was, that's beyond exposure therapy. That's like hand on the element. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was not a good time. But I, maybe I could do it if I watch it during the day. Uh, I, you know, I have a, a nice treat nearby. Take some pauses, you know, if you need to. Yeah, okay.
1: But I think like Nightmare and Elm Street too, like, won't terrify you too much. It's very campy. Okay. It sounds great. But the, there's like very, so I'm sure you've seen Alien. Yes. Um, Sigourney Weaver, like the Thing popping on the stomach there was that's probably like the goriest scene um in the film but it's like the horror is more like lustful i would say between right ready and the scream queen Jesse
0: which i find so inter i mean it is and it's overlaid all the time sex and violence in a way where it's really interesting to separate them or not separate them
1: exactly and it's like one of the films where like the ending isn't like tragic huh. uh, as most horror films are. right? Like, either no or, like,
0: spoilers, Josh. No spoilers, but this... I'm just kidding. It's like a 40 year old. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Can you imagine?
0: I can't believe you spoiled. Nightmare <laughs> <on episode two. laughs>
1: so, so yeah, I was like, really loved it, but yeah. I, I just love seeing like this high femme scream queen. Um, and so like, there's also talks that I was reading about uh, of some type of like remake or like documentary of it. Oh. And so like, Please, Wes Craven, do it. Um, do it. Oh, sorry. RIP, RIP. <laughs> I meant, uh, what is his name? one um, he plays Freddy Krueger, who is still around. Oh. Robert Eglin, that's it.
0: Robert Eglin, big fan of You Made Me Queer. So, Robert, we know you're listening. Um, so get, <laughs> get to work on the film. You have our full support. I will
1: back you up. I'll blurb it. Let's go. That yeah. sounds great.
0: Anything that's gonna throw under the bus?
1: Hmm. Anything else? I mean, like I wrote about this in Johnny, but like Neopets was like hella queer to me. Yes. Like, folks, it was a free online game where you had this pet and you could like paint them and like put them up into all these outfits. But it cost so much money. It was basically like a child casino because every day you go <laughs> yeah. on and like spin this wheel and get more points. So I, I talked about this a bit in, in my book Johnny Appleseed, but mm-hmm. I'll just give a little bit of behind the scenes. So I would also play this, and I was again, kind of the premise of my book, but, like, I was a notorious adolescent catfisher <laughs> Um, in that, like, those are, like, the days of, like, MSN and AOL. Oh, yeah. And so I would go into Neopets and, like, moonlight as this, like, older girl um, and kind of, like, flirt and be flirty, I-, I guess, like, be flirty and then also, um like, affirm my own queerness through the kind of performance um, of a Neopet. <laughs> this, like... 13 14 year old girl and talk to boys and that to me was uh, an extreme highlight uh, of my queer coming into myself
0: (laughs) Percent. that's i mean people listening who maybe are not you don't have to be a gamer but if you're not really sort of you haven't used tech a lot or whatever blah 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 this might sound like we're blowing this out of proportion but having that ability to build and like live through an avatar It sounds really weird, but I think it's very common. Like, I did so much of my queer exploration through avatars and video games. But there was also this really, really proto... It wasn't Neopets. It was so low budget. but you were like... It was like fantasy, Lord of the Rings, but you were animals. Oh. And so I remember being some kind of, like, bunny... In is like a Lord of the Rings village, but I was also like out and pr- this is like as a twelve year old. My bunny <laughs> character was like out and proud. I love that. Yeah, so I was like I a thief, but also like a gay thief. Don't forget. <laughs>
1: A Woodlands bunny, gay thief, yeah.
0: hundred percent. And something about that felt very like I got to, I don't know, explore. With I mean, not that I was going to grow up and be a gay thief bunny, although I do have the figure for it. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, something about that felt liberating.
1: Well, I think that's also like the beauty of video games. Like we started this conversation thinking about like highbrow and capital L literature and capital ARs mm-hmm. and like video games are like very low, low brow, right? Yeah. And also seems like waste of time. Or like there's better things to be done. But to me, they and I see this now specifically with youth who are like even more inundated with the virtual and you know the online and computers and technology. But like I owe so much of who I am, both as a queer person, as an indigenous person, as a writer and as a thinker, as an artist, to video games mm-hmm. because one, like as a, a child, they this the act of play and uh, the act of avatars allows you, it's very much the basics of theater. uh, It's like put the mask on, right? And, you know, like do the kind of Romeo and Juliet, go to the ball, and you can kind of be anyone and do anything in a way that is unfettered as the shackles of what you're inundated with, specifically as a kid, and specifically for me as a kid in the 90s, uh, is that you cannot be this. Mm -hmm. And so this was a a, a hinterland uh, allowance to be whoever you wanted to be, and it really kind of fostered and embraced and celebrated and enhanced my queerness because I was able to be like, pull the jack out of the body that is Joshua Whitehead and plug it into this Pet or plug it into this bunny who's a thief or plug it into Cloud Strife. Right. And for me, it was like, so it's disembodying to like do that, but it's also mm-hmm. so embodying. Right. Yeah. Um, and I also just like throughout COVID found myself doing very similar things. Like, I was, I was, I was joking on Instagram and to my friends that I was like regressing to teenagehood <laughs> and childhood, like living in my basement with cups and bowls everywhere. <laughs> but again, it was like video games that gave me a stasis to yeah. move to the extreme isolation of early COVID in that I didn't have to live in this world that is continually damning, continually destructive and continually hurtful. Instead, I could move into a world in what that was flourishing but also a world in which I had the ability to succeed fully and wholly, and I couldn't be I couldn't be I denied that. Yeah. and I think to me, that is a semblance of why I would say video games are like the queerest element that we have.
0: 100 percent, and I would add to that as well as a child as strangely wholly unchaperoned place from adults not only because like you know you're playing it alone probably like in a basement or like some kind of space out of the way but also because of this sort of tech generational barrier mm-hmm. uh, as a kid you learned that language and people around you didn't know how to process it often like your parents or guardians were like i don't know what you're doing but just like you're not getting into trouble so fine like stay in the basement exactly yeah and so then as a kid you're like oh my god i get I get, like you said, I get to go put to this brothel and put on this dress and I'm all by myself. It's, it's the kind of agency that's very rare as a child.
1: Oh, for sure. Like specifically for like our times, I would say, like my parents were like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just like, like brushing my pet Aisha and Neopets who I just bought this like, <laughs>
0: They're like what?
1: very special, like pirate costume for. They're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds like you're having fun. So go ahead and do it. So you can, like,
0: lace it in the coating, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it must be. It's like me when people talk about, well, like Ariana Grande in Fortnite. I'm like, mm, I don't know what you're talking about, but you seem happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although now I want to know. Actually, you've given me quite a lot of homework to do after this. So I will watch things and I will play things. And since we are running out of time... I'm going to have to let you go, but before I do, would you like to play a game? Sure, let's play. So this game is called Queer, Queerer, Queerest. Queer, Queerest. Okay. I'm going to give you three things. You are going to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Okay, sounds fun. Great. Okay, let's do it. Thing number one, Shelley Duvall's outfit in the final chapter of The Shining. Ooh, okay. Now, you're a horror movie person, so have you seen <laughs> The Shining? I have. I'm gonna drop a visual reference in the chat just in case you can't picture this outfit. So we've got a beige turtleneck. Over top of it is sort of like a, a plaid farmer's button-up and then she has brown corduroy overalls over top of that. That's
1: not your picture, is it? It's, it's signed, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, That's that's not my picture. Could you imagine? Oh,
1: I was like, Oh, my God, Trevor. Oh my God. I'm so jealous. You met Shelley Duval.
0: <laughs> I would be. you. I can't even. We don't have time to talk about my Shelley Duval. <laughs> She's special. Okay, so that's thing number one. Okay. Thing number two, picture this uh, continental breakfast at a hotel. And we have specifically the Belgian waffle station. Okay. Which, in case you've never encountered one of these, uh, your loss. It's like a little Belgian waffle machine. And next to it or just a bunch of plastic cups of batter. Okay,
1: yeah, I, I see
0: it. Yeah, pre-portioned batter. You've got it, you've got it. Thing number three, giant novelty checks, such as the kind scene held by lottery winners or presented by Ed McMahon in front of your house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, giant novelty checks. Yeah,
0: so recap, Shelley Duvall's outfit in the final act of The Shining, the Belgian waffle station at a continental breakfast, and giant novelty checks least queer to most queer and why
1: okay i'm going to begin with least queer which i'm going to say is giant novelty checks <laughs> okay because i don't feel like there was a whole lot of like queer representation in game shows and i love game shows <gasps> okay so nowadays there is but we just had rupaul on family feud right <laughs>
0: that's true so
1: i would say that's the least queer for me although i would love to have a giant novelty check oh my god semi-queer it would be the continental breakfast at the belgian waffle machine because like no, you know, it's like that's after a grinder hookup, like meet you at the Belgian waffle machine in the morning, or, <laughs> totally. or like can I just pour this for you so you can go. Uh, it's also giving like very white lotus vibes, and I, I like that. So.
0: Oh yes, totally, totally. <laughs> <laughs> the walk of shame to the Belgian waffle machine.
1: <laughs> exactly. I couldn't call it the queers. So I think it's a good either end space or meet space yeah. um, for the air of grinder, but I think that's a dead thing now with COVID. I don't know if we'll ever have buffets again, right? I think you're right. Um, so I have to like, I have to give like the queerest to Shelley Duvall's outfit. If only uh, What, I love The Shining. I love Shelley. Uh, she's get, like this, like Louisville Slugger is like. Reminiscent yes. of like lemonade to me. Yes. But also like she's giving me like high queer energy in like 2021. Um that I feel like so many queer folks are like dressing in carhartt <laughs> and like dressing as like kind of like very straight like straight and like straight folks like Harry Styles mm-hmm. and quote unquote Sean Mendez are like very <laughs> well, like,
0: quote unquote because he's not straight or <laughs>
1: I, I will leave that to the decision of Sean. That's fine. Um, hey, Sean. giving share, you know. Um <laughs> So I would say like this is like the very queer aesthetic that I see both for um, cisgender and queer folks and male and female and everyone in between. It's like we're all kind of dressing in this like regressive but kind of sexy, kind of hot, um, very workwear, wear. And I, I like it like Duckies, Carhartt, all that.
0: Yeah, you're totally right. It's this sort of utilitarian. I feel like I could see anyone in sort of the the broad queer acronym spectrum wearing this outfit, and I'd
1: be like, ooh. I'd be like, okay, so I'm going to start cruising. Oh,
0: yeah, 100% <laughs> what's your phone number? Please put down the bat, because I'm gentle. But would you like to get a call?
1: You know, like, it might be fun just like write the number on the bat <laughs> with a sticker that you could, be, you could remove, because I don't know the <laughs> sentimental value of the bat to you, but
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. And then as they're waving it threateningly, you're just like four, one, six, <laughs> leading up the side, and then you run. Okay. So I'm going to recap your answers. You said least queer checks.
1: Giant novelty. Yeah.
0: Yes. Giant novelty checks. Number two was the Bel- walk of shame to the Belgian waffle station. <laughs> Very, very good. And then the final one was Shelly Duval in her workwear.
1: I'm here for it. Yeah,
0: I love it. Okay, so this is a very you are an academic. This is an academic test. So let me refer to my rubric, <laughs> my grading rubric. Yes, yes, yes. A plus gold
1: star. Perfect. I'll wait for my next grant. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You Yeah, you can
0: now submit this, the queer, queer course results. Um, are what Canada Council is looking for.
1: Okay, so adding to C B CV right <laughs> <That's> now. Right. <laughs>
0: Certificates <laughs> in the mail. Uh,
1: so congratulations,
0: you win. You are, in fact, a queer person. It's all true.
1: Oh, thank you. I've, <laughs> 32 years it took me to figure this out.
0: <laughs> well, finally, this. You, you, your time is well spent on this podcast. So... Before I let you go, Josh, and I really don't want to, is there anything you would like to plug?
1: I would say, so stay tuned uh, for folks who are fans of my work, uh, Full Metal Queer," a Book of Poetry, Johnny Appleseed, My Novel, My um, Edited an Anthology, Love After the End, An Anthology of and Two-Spirit Spectrum of Fiction, and for all my queer folks who like barely got through the pandemic with m- multiple mental ruptures, I have a book coming out this spring called Making Love with the Land about queerness indigeneity and mental health um and hopefully COVID allowing i can come and tour and see all you folks in your cities
0: yes that sounds perfect yes do all of that you can find all of those books pretty much everywhere because josh is a superstar and those books are out and about or you can find them at your local library whatever you want to do and they're they're fantastic and there's more to look forward to so and what about uh, Insta? Any handles we want to share?
1: Oh, yeah. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at jwhitehead204. everyone asks why the number, it's my area code from Manitoba. So <laughs> Perfect.
0: Represent. Uh, so thank you so much because I, uh, as you can tell from my couch for it, was pr- pretty queer and weird when this conversation started. <laughs> and you, Joshua Whitehead, have made me queerer than ever.
1: <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs>
0: you're doing important work um so go put that vr headset on and, and do whatever freaky stuff it
1: is you do <laughs> i'll try to walk into a wall
0: tell ariana i say hi <laughs> yeah.
1: will do will do okay
0: and that is our show thank you so much for listening and don't forget to check out this week made me queer on youtube you made me queer TV. You can find it. It's there for you. And it's free. As always, I want to hear from you. I really do. So email me at you made me queer at gmail.com. With anything, share your queer awakening, what made me queer story, and I may read it on the show. Or just send me some tripe and I might read that too. Because this is a essentially almost a public forum that I do all the work for rate, review, and subscribe. You made me queer. It helps us get popular, and popularity is truly all that matters. If Squid Game taught me one thing, and that's it. Q credits. You Made Me Queer is created, produced, and edited by me, Trevor Campbell. Our theme song is by Critty. For more of our music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at youmademequeer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every other Thursday, and were brought to you by the Sonar Network. And from the bottom of my big bent heart, thank you for listening. Until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault.